Good morning, Grace City. We are the Boyers. Bob is my husband, and I'm Jen, and we've lived in Baltimore now 23 years. Um, we're here to talk about uh, serving God in grace with audacity in, in, your, in your home, in your city, and in, in, in wherever God takes you. Um, I'm a dog walker for Jesus, and if you struggle with getting to know people, uh, enough to serve them you just simply need a dog because having a dog dragging you to give someone a really vigorous sniff gets you to know them pretty quickly um, and a dog used me in a mission in someone's life who then in turn impacted our church's life greatly um, my point is whatever you do do it for the Lord God's mission should be our mission and our mission should mirror God so that others see him in our service. You should be reading his word for direction. You should be praying and asking God to give you the privilege to serve, to be part of the blessings that he wants to give others. And I'd rather serve God as a dog walker than maybe as a pastor. Corey, I don't want you out there walking dogs with me, buddy. Um, stay in your lane. Whatever your calling is, please use it for God's kingdom to reach people for him. Um, I meet so many people who, who need so many different things. I mean, it's crazy. You never know what God's gonna do. One night I was walking my dog and there was a homeless man living on the steps at the church near my house. And my dog went over to greet him. And that person became a valuable part of our church. Clinton has on, gone on to be with the Lord now, but he was here every day helping clean up, serve, all kinds of ways. He'd show up all the time. He had nothing to give. He was homeless for 40 years almost. But he took what he had been given by God and he used it greatly and mightily. And uh, because of my dog walking business, I met a lady who had to go in the hospital suddenly. And I went to the ER with her. And there was another lady there who really needed a friend and needed prayer. And she was there alone and scared. And God blessed me in that time. So whatever you do, if you're a mom at home and you're taking care of children all day and you think, what am I doing for God? That's your, that's your service mission field. And do it with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength for God. When I think of service, I just think about John 13. Uh, on the night he was betrayed, the Lord washed all the feet of the disciples. And, uh, and that was a job reserved for generally the lowest ranking slave. And the Lord humbled himself. And uh, of course, you know, Peter first said, Lord, you're not gonna wash my feet. And we thought, oh, well, what a humble guy Peter was. But Peter was actually being stubborn because he didn't wanna accept uh, the gift that the Lord was providing to him. And the Lord said, hey, unless I wash your feet, I can have no part of you. So that's what I think of uh, when it comes to service. Uh, the, if the Lord could humble himself, to do that of a common slave, then then we can do anything. You know, whatever uh, whatever Mary Lou or God you know asks you to do, we can we can do it. Uh, so that's our prayer uh, for Grace. And uh, thank you. We'll read the scripture now. We're reading from Acts 20, 13 through 38. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to Miletus, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. 
When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and they embraced him and kissed him. The word of the Lord. Yeah, you clap for those folks, go ahead. The Boyers. Uh, what, I, what I love about the Boyers and so many of you in this church is that service has become organic. It's not showy. It's not something to wear on the sleeve. It just happens in life on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, to hear a word from Colonel Boyer, you don't know this, but, uh, you know, he's, I think he's like, you know, chief of staff of the entire armed services or something. But, um, but I just appreciate those folks so much, and they just lead into where we're going today in our text. So would you do me a favor for a moment as, as the music plays in the background and we talk about surrendering and maybe we could sing that refrain again, Paula, but would you just look at the harbor? Don't look at me, um, but look at the harbor and look at Baltimore and think from west to east and think about uh, where God might place you in the years to come, where God might have you serve, where God might have you take a journey on the streets or in a home or for a neighbor. So just extend your hand to some portion of Baltimore as you nod your, just lower your heads, bow your heads. Extend your hand out to Baltimore that is in desperate need of the people of God to come and serve. Do that for me. For you. Sing along even as you target part of Baltimore for service. Everybody says amen, amen, all the Lord's people. Hey, folks, if you would, online, we're so grateful you're with us online. Wish you were here. This is, is this not one of the most beautiful mornings in Baltimore you could ever imagine? <clears throat> We've switched from seeking shade to seeking sun to get a little heat on our bodies. It's first uh, sport coat of the season, you know, after the summer. Uh, to keep us a little warmer up here. If you would, online and here, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Have them on your phones or in your Bible, and uh, you'll be able to follow along. The text is long, and I'm only going to preach the portions that the Boyers read for us this morning. Now, in our mostly annual four-part 
series on the state of grace. Corey preached the first week on grace anatomy, the makeup of the church. Pastor Kristen preached last week on grace autonomy and the incredible importance of small groups and, and coming together uh, to do life together in the city. And the text that grabs our attention this morning is verse 35 that came at the end of where Bob was reading, where Paul quotes Jesus saying this line, it is better to give than to receive. And of course, that's ridiculous, right? That's, that's, you and I both know that it's easier and sweeter and better to receive than it is to give. I was at a uh, birthday party for a four-year-old yesterday, and his seven-year-old brother was saying, I want those gifts. It's better to receive gifts than to give gifts, right? And, and this one's harder. It's, it's better to receive Christ and all the benefits that come with receiving Christ than it is to give oneself away like Christ and, and all the sacrifice that comes with that. Am I right? Well, enough snark for now. Church... However, we've, we've got to listen to that because it goes on in our brains, that fight. Because it's entirely possible to show up for the magnificent benefits of being in Christ, but keep our distance from the cost of discipleship in serving Christ. It can be, frankly, like astronomy, which is a beautiful science. As a non-science major in college, I took Astronomy 90 at Penn State. I think there were some others here that did that. And I looked at the stars, and I looked at the planets, and, and the beauty of astronomy is that it's gorgeous, it's magnificent, but it's largely passive. You can look at the stars, Corey, but you can't do anything about the stars. Sometimes Christians act like astronomers. We are passive witnesses in a world gone mad. We are spectators in the bleachers watching the game play out on the field and we complain, we're good at that, we whine, I'm good at that, and we deconstruct, that's sort of new, but we're getting good at that. But church, the world is never, ever, as followers of Christ, the world is never outside of our influence. If we will only grasp the audacity of what it means to follow Christ on this side of heaven, the impact that we have because we follow Christ, not because of us, but because of the Christ in us, the impact we have in remembrance, in connection, in possibility, in invention, in empathy, in insight, in correction, in care, and justice, are all given to us as kingdom ambassadors of, the, of our creator God, given to us. So today I want to work from the title, Grace Audacity. Grace Audacity. And church, we, we not only observe... As Christians, we not only fellowship together as Christians, we not only worship together as Christians, all of these are great things, all of these things bear repetition on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, but we don't only do those things, we also make change happen. Somebody say amen. For the sake of Christ, again, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is in you, Rashima, in you, Kathy, in you, Alan, the Christ in you is audacious, making change happen. And as followers of Christ, listen, our participation in his kingdom on this side of heaven, or frankly, our apathy on this side of heaven, will lead to a different future on this side of heaven. And we should ask, we should ask as followers of Christ, who else in this city will care enough to make change for the sake of the kingdom if it's not followers of Christ? Who else will care? So in our text this morning, Luke presents us with a narrative of Paul's farewell to the Ephesian church. 
In Grace City, we often find some of the greatest biblical treasures in the farewell discourses of some of the heroes and heroines of the Bible. Bible. If you don't believe me, look at, and Bob um, quoted John 13 today. John 13 through 17 is called the farewell discourse of Jesus, the greatest treasure of teaching we have for the body of Christ. Well, here in the first five verses that we're going to follow from verse 13 to 17, and you follow along in your scriptures, follow along at home. I'm not going to read it all again, but here we track with, with God, with Paul's plans, and of course, God's change of plans uh, as Paul journeys towards Jerusalem. Here in Acts 20, having finished his third missionary journey, the apostle is making his way towards Jerusalem. He had hoped to get there for the Jewish Passover, but God had changed that plan. Now he hoped to arrive there before Pentecost. God is changing that plan. He's sailing south in the Aegean Sea, and the apostle comes on, on the ship to Miletus, which is an ancient seaport quite near to Ephesus, probably about 15 miles away. He's going to be there about two or three days, probably so the ship can change their cargo. And he spontaneously sends for the elders of the Ephesian church, who he knows well. He has labored with them for over three years. And we learn later that he doesn't think he's ever going to see them again, though he does, uh, because God changes the plan again. But now, Paul wants to connect with these elders of the Ephesian church for a final time, a final connection, final fellowship, and leave them with a final word. His farewell to the Ephesians. And the elders of the Ephesian church are simply, they're small group leaders. They're, they're pastors of the various house churches around the city of Ephesus that have grown up under Paul's mentorship. Not unlike you when you're in a house church around here. And by the way, by the way, let's put a 250 in the meter here, Corey, uh, on our credit card. But by the way, for you planners and you non-planners, for you Jays on the, on the Myers-Briggs, Notice here that the apostle really does plan ahead. He, he always has plans. Yet in it all, he's ready for God to change the plan, to, for God to make a change in the program. And you often see this in the early church as you read through Acts. The early church understood that God left the choices and the planning up to them. They were to think, to dream, to plan, to program. But as James tells us in James chapter 4, it'll be on your slide at home. They were always to remember that God retains his privilege to interrupt our plans. And it happens all the time. So God, Grace City, don't, don't let a change of plans that God's, in God's economy become a frustration for you. I hear this all the time, like I planned this and it's going wrong. And don't let that be a frustration. God knows the plans he has for you. Plans for your welfare, even perhaps especially mostly when our plans become frustrated. That's when God goes to work. This happens often with Paul. He's often praying. You see it in, in his letters. Three times I planned to come for you. Satan prevented me. Twice I planned to come to you, and God had another plan. It goes on and on. The plans change. Don't let this frustrate you. We're not to whine or fear that we're being mistreated by God because things don't go as we planned. The apostle never objects when God changes the plan. He just says he changed the plan. Now, now, here it is. Paul sends for the elders who were teachers of the various house churches in Ephesus. They were responsible for guiding and directing and feeding the flock. He wants to connect with this small group of pastors he'd raised up and mentored. And Paul meets them with this great discourse that sets up their ministry for the years ahead. Now, his ideas in verses 18 to 35, you can look at it, are the only example in the entire book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is addressing an exclusively Christian audience. 
And that makes a difference for us. He drifts around here in three dimensions of what his state of grace farewell messages would be. The state of grace he wants them to, to leave them with. And we're going to spend most of our time on the third dimension. But first, consider Paul's approach. Consider Paul's approach. And we see this in verses 18 to 20 of Acts 20. He begins, church, with a description of his own ministry approach. Watch this. When they arrived, the the elders of Ephesus arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived with you the whole time I was with you. I served the Lord with humility and tears in the midst of severe testing. And watch this. I preached anything to you that would be helpful publicly from house to house. Now, remember, by this time, the apostle is uh, under consistent, constant attack. And his ministry is being threatened. And this is why he makes this declaration. And some people read this and think, man, Paul is conceited. Talking about how humble he is. How do you have to talk about But that's not what's going on. He's offering a defense of his ministry uh, from his attackers, his constant attackers, who are accusing him of self-serving pride and of stirring up dissension wherever he went. And Paul needs to remind these pastors, no, I served the Lord with humility and with tears. And they remember that about him. He says, this ministry meant everything to me. How many of you can identify with that feeling in your small group, in your service arena, in, around the church here in Baltimore, around each other, that I serve with humility? And sometimes you get accused of doing the opposite. Now, fair warning, Grace City, the more you're involved in ministry, the more you're involved in service, there will be more times in your journey when you're accused of mischief or lack of care or of conceit, when in fact, you are simply extending the love of our Lord. And it happens from the beginning of your life in Christ all the way through. I remember when I first began my life in Christ, I was 14 years old. I accepted the Lord at a young life camp. I came back to school that that following week. uh, It was in October. Been away at a weekend camp, received the gospel. I was high on Jesus, 14 years old. Some friends of mine came to me and said, hey, we're going to go smoke some marijuana after school. Why don't you come with us? And I said, in my new life in Christ, I said, Alan, no, I have something better. And they said, really? What do you have? And I said, I have Jesus. And they started laughing at me and laughing at me. And they went and told others to laugh at me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't think I know much about sharing faith yet at 14. I was at least three days old by that time in Christ. And I got laughed at. And, and, and I, was, I remember thinking, I just, I just wanted to share something. I was excited. Anyway, that really never stops. Some version of that, church. Just beware. Be, be advised. This happens. Paul always came into these cities, right, with the unabridged gospel in mind, John. He always sought to set forth, say it with me, the whole counsel. Somebody say whole counsel. The whole counsel of God. He says it this way. I preached anything that would be helpful to you. He stayed up long hours to cover all the venues, share all that God has said to humankind. Because because he understood that it's the knowledge of the word of God that sets you free. So this is Paul's approach. He brings, in in the midst of his approach, church, he brings something infinitely valuable to announce. 
And that's our second point, that what is his announcement? Look at verse 21, where we find the content of his ministry. And this is the content of our ministry. When you're dog walking with Jen, when you're setting up church in the morning with Bob, this is the content of our ministry. He says it this way. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Church, this is the gospel announcement in its simplest form. You want to sum up the gospel in a, in a half of a sentence? Repent and believe. Here it is. It's quite practical if you define pr practicality by our capacity to practice something. This is something we practice and get good at. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Summarized in two words, repent and believe. And repentance is simply changing your mind, turning around, I remember seeing Billy Graham um, interviewed when I was a young Christian. I saw him interviewed on TV, and the media asked him, what, what do you, it was in the midst of all kinds of scandals and, and, and financial scandals with TV preachers. He said, what do you owe your continuing success to? And he said, Billy Graham said two words. He said, confession and repentance. And I thought, what does Billy Graham have to confess? But he knew what we need to know. Confession and repentance. Repentance is simply changing your mind to repent from and turn around from thinking and acting and living inside our own values and prejudices and trusting the living Lord to operate through us and then head out in faith. And church, here it is, following Christ in faith, is intend, it's intended to be exciting and compelling and magnetic and different and lived on the edge of, of, of adventure and danger. And this is why our life is characterized by faith. Going places you'd never go without him. Are you with me? Where would you go only with Jesus Christ? That's moving out in faith. With the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Where you go, right, Scott? You go where you'd never go without him. You only go because of him. And like Paul, here's the announcement. Two foundational steps. We share with all here in Baltimore, neighbors, friends, family, every place you targeted with your prayers, you share this gospel content, repent and believe, and, and you keep it on repeat for yourself. This is th because the way you begin your life in Christ, to repent and believe, in my case at 14 years old, I began that way, uh, but because a walk is more than a single step, you keep this on repeat. The, the way you continue your life in Christ follows the same blueprint. Repent and believe. We do it the first day with Christ, and we do it every day thereafter with Christ. That's our gospel message, to repent and believe. I just come after knee surgery two weeks ago, Friday, two weeks ago, and, uh, and, and every day it's, it's a repeat, Corey. It's the same exercises. If you do them, your range of motion begins to come back. If you don't, you get stiff and stiff, and you have to sit on the sidelines. You can't participate anymore. Repent and believe. It takes practice, and you get good at it in Christ, and you walk out in faith. So here we are. From the apostle, we have the details of his approach. We have the content of his announcement, repent and believe. And now let's spend the rest of our time on apply. Apply. How does the, how does the apostle apply this? What is his state of grace that he wants to leave with the elders of the Ephesian church? He begins by detailing the cost of gospel application. And I just want us all to stay aware of this. We should always be aware that there's a cost. And look at verses 22 to 24 and then 27 as well. Follow along in your Bibles. But it's simply this. Paul acknowledges that 
that he is facing danger and trial and hardship and affliction everywhere he goes because he is taking Christ with him. Every, everywhere he had gone, the Holy Spirit had witnessed to him that he was heading for trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And Paul knew this better than anyone. But note the commitment of his heart and his mind and his soul. Here he says, it does not matter. Somebody say, it does not matter. We're going to have trouble. And what do we say? It does not matter. Paul's so clear about it here and elsewhere in his letters. I mean, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You can see it on your screen. He says this, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Grace City, the grown-up follower of Christ, wants nothing for themselves, only to have God exalted and Christ manifested. Now, for several verses, Paul makes very clear that he's aware he has completed his ministry among them. He, he goes briefly into the responsibilities and, of these elders to feed the flock at Ephesus, and he warns of the dangers ahead for the church. And that is an entire other sermon, which I hope we'll preach later this year. But for today, let's go right to the end of his farewell, and that leads to our takeaway from today that we began today with. Paul says to them basically this. Here it is in verse 34 and 35. He's saying, Corey, he's saying, be like me. Serve like me, he's saying. Here it is. I'll read it. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions, and everything I did I showed you by this kind of hard work. We must, watch it, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So yes, the apostle himself has been their example, serving with humility and tears and self-sacrifice, employing the word of God. And he says, do the same. Be selfless in your ministry. He says, look at me. I've labored among you. I've done what it is to, needed to do to earn my way. Don't, he says, don't be looking for something for yourself. Don't seek glory, favor, position, eminence, prominence, or material reward. But, but watch this. He's not... It's not the absence of these pursuits that Paul wants to leave behind with the elders at Ephesus. It's the replacement of these pursuits. It's not just stop doing this. It's replace it with this, with something better, something heavenly. And here it is. We must help the weak. Stop pursuing your own thing and replace it with pursuing others and the needs of others. It's not about just stopping. It's about replacing we must help the weak. This is where Paul lands in his farewell, and it's where we must land in the decade ahead at Grace City. The world around us, church, is desperate to find itself under the influence of Jesus' people who love like Jesus. That's our job. That's our privilege. He even supports the idea where the word from Jesus we don't find in the Gospels, but which obviously had been witnessed by the disciples and passed on to Paul. After all, he says, Paul says, Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. And we can say, really? Because how can this be true when everything I hear, everything I learn, everything around me says the opposite is really what's true? And I can only tell you, from my 50 years following Christ, that, that service does indeed bring blessings beyond mere living. It does. But remember the caveat on blessings. And we preached this, gosh, a couple years ago, Corey. You, you remember when, it, when Jesus is in his first sermon preaching, blessed are they who? And, and blessings become 
fraught, right? <laughs> Blessings don't mean good times all the time. Blessed are you when people persecute you, he says. Really? Blessed are you when people revile you and attack you, because great is your reward in heaven. This is a different look at life. This is a different look. It's better to give than to receive. Church, I was 14 when I received Christ. I told you that story a little bit at a young life camp. All I had to do that weekend was hear the gospel and then say yes to Jesus. I'm sure many of you have a similar story. And it's an awesome story. I remember it very well. I remember where I was sitting. But it's not the event in my 14th year that set my course for the next 50. It's not. That event occurred several months later when I volunteered along with many of my new friends in my high school at uh, um, freshmen, sophomore, juniors, seniors, new friends in Christ. And we volunteered to throw a dance party with the internees of a nearby juvenile detention facility. It was not a singular event. We, we repeated similar events for the next several years with our incarcerated friends. But that first one, that first dance, that dance party imprinted on my heart and soul and 14-year-old mind. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the tug of fear going through security. I remember the bigger tug of fear going into the gymnasium and looking at the lineup of really tough-looking kids across the gym. I remember the lights. I remember the sounds. I remember the DJ playing Earth, Wind, and Fire. Do you remember <laughs> September? I remember. I was, I, was, I was a punk. I was a 14-year-old punk. And I was in way over my head. And it was magnificent. It was magnificent. And it set the course for many more personal adventures in Christ from that point on. Here's what I learned that night and relearned again last week. To give oneself away for others, to take risks for the sake of Jesus, is the very best our life in Christ has to offer on this side of heaven. It is. It is better to give than receive. Listen, church, let me try another way with you. Becoming a Christian is awesome. Raise your hand if, if you know that story about yourself when you met the Lord. Raise your hand. You remember your story. That's an awesome story. And if we could parade all of you up here to give your testimony, it would be great. It gives you a great and important story to tell and to introduce yourselves to others. And, and we call it a testimony. And we testify to the gift of new life in Christ that changes us forever. And it's great. And it's like astronomy. It's magnificent and it's beautiful. And largely it's the story of something that happens to us. And yes, of course, tell that story often. Don't mistake me here. But don't stop with telling me how you became a Christian. Don't stop with telling the world around you in Baltimore how you became a Christian. Tell me why you're still a Christian. Why do you still follow Jesus? Tell me of the adventure. Tell me of the risks. Tell me of the sound and the lights. Tell me of the fear. Tell me of the places you go that you would never go without Jesus. Tell me those stories. Amen? Tell me of Nicaragua. Tell me of the families in Sharp Leadenhall. Tell me of the students and teachers at Digital Harbor High School. Tell me of the time you mentored a kid who needed you. 
Tell me of teaching for a semester in the children's ministry over here. Tell me of rehearsing and singing and playing with the worship team. Tell me of the season you spent early Sunday mornings with Bob Boyer setting up for church. Tell me of your walks with Jen Boyer and the surprise friends you meet. Tell me of the child you sponsor in Managua. Tell me of the marches you walk in and the protest signs you carry. Tell me of, of, of writing do justice, love mercy, and carrying that around. Tell me why you still follow Christ. Tell me why. And I guarantee you this, as you tell those stories, it's always, we, we follow Christ always because we continue to meet him most credibly and convincingly in the giving of ourselves for the sake of others. One of the, one of the fave times of my week that I've missed for several months because of my knee, and I can't walk miles and miles, are the engagement miles and miles of walks with African-American men of We Are Us, and, and the purpose of those walks is to engage the community, and, and it's, it's about reducing the, the murder rate, it's about anti-violence, it's about peacemaking, it's about reaching out and taking in, it's about jobs and rehab and opportunity, and I have no idea when it comes to anti-violence how much impact we're making. I don't think anybody does yet, but we're going to show up. But those magic moments of those engagement walks, it's not hard. It's never hard to see Jesus in the faces of the people of the neighborhood. That's where you meet Jesus. That's why we still follow Jesus. Because we walk in places he only, only he would take us. Listen, in the era where deconstructing our faith is popular, and I get it, and I'm a fan of it to an extent, but I still prefer to call it growing up in Christ. I still prefer to call it leaving behind the childish things and moving toward maturity in Christ. Where we get up from the bleachers, and we move down onto the field, and we get in the game. I'm not making it up. That's the farewell address. That's the takeaway of Paul's uh, farewell address to the Ephesian elders. As the worship team comes up, the last paragraph in Acts chapter 20, you can take a look at it. It hardly, it hardly needs comment, but it does deserve prayer. It describes a, a beautiful parting, and I want you to take a look at it, starting in verse 36. I'll read it to you if you don't have it in front of you. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. As a matter of fact, let's do our version of that and you can hold your Bibles and stuff, but let's all stand together for this part uh, and we'll begin singing here soon after. But instead of kneeling, we'll stand, but it's, the, it, it's, our, it's our way right now to honor the Lord. When Paul had finished speaking, they all stood up and prayed and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. They think it's the last time they're going to see him. What grieved them the most, the scripture says, was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. I'm glad Paul was wrong. They, they did see his face again. We learned that in 1 Timothy. This time, though, they thought it would be his final time. Imagine if this was your final time with the friends you see around here. It's a gorgeous glimpse, right, of our fellowship together as we face the dangers that lay ahead of us in the next year, in the next decade. We always, always, Grace City, we always feel the heartache of the times, the difficulty of the times. That won't change. We live in a difficult world. In this world, you will have trouble. Yet we also experience, just look around the city, look around at each other. We experience the joy of sharing together in the life of Jesus Christ, knowing that we belong to the Lord and look across the room, we belong to each other. So we're going to close this service by standing together and praying. 
that the spirit and application, Paul's application of this message will remain with us as we face this next year together. So let's pray, and then as soon as I say amen, let's sing with the worship team. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. Oh, our Lord in heaven, we are grateful so much for your word, your living word. The scriptures speak to our hearts how powerful it remains in our lives. And in the hands of the spirit, it still graciously teaches our hearts and minds. Father, unite us together in the Lord, in love for one another. And as we face the fall of 2021, with its uncertainties and dangers and afflictions and hardships and its possibilities, we pray, Lord, that we may do so with a sense of our need for you, our need for each other and the opportunities to serve others. As we look across at the city of Baltimore, across this harbor, Lord, sustain us, strengthen us, as is your inclination, and surprise us in our riskiest endeavors with moments of joy and pleasure and gladness, which we could never anticipate because we'll, we only go there because you take us there. And it's your delight to give us those surprises. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's sing this song, Build My Life, and let's sing it as a prayer. After all, Grace City, we build our life on his love. We build our life on him and him alone. Somebody say amen. Let's sing.